Two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. And welcome to episode number four of Generation Red, the Husker fan podcast that's like kettle corn. A little sweet, sometimes salty, which also means we're pretty unprofessional. Never played, never coached, never covered college football in any official sports capacity until we started this podcast. And now you have to deal with us. Anyway, we're here to talk about something that's a lot more fun to talk about tonight than the last episode. <laughs> We're here to talk about our top five most memorable wins because, hey, we all like to talk about stuff that's fun and wins are definitely fun. But there was also a little bit more fun to be had over the last couple of days. Scott, um, I was in Lincoln, got to bring some boxes to you and your lovely wife so that you can get prepared to move. And I think after we left your house, you went to this thing called, well, what the hell is enchiladas in Miatas? Uh, enchiladas and Miatas is a car meet that the local Lincoln and Omaha area Miata owners all go to. It's about once every single month, weather permitting. Uh, usually in the early spring months, going into the early fall. Sometimes we go to late fall, just depending on how the weather goes. But we meet every single month, um, and just hang out and show off our little Miata projects that we've been working on. Uh, there's about there's about 500 of us in the group on Facebook, and every single meet, there's anywhere from 30 to 60 on a, on a regular meetup. And then usually the first meet of the year and the last meet of the year, <clears throat> we can get upwards of about 100 Miatas. Um, we meet, we hang out for about uh, about an hour and a half, two hours, and then we go on a cruise. And there's a designated route that is always pre-decided by the one of the group admins. And we all just cruise around in our Miatas, usually in the Omaha to uh, Council Bluffs area, because Council Bluffs right outside of that crackhead town. There are some pretty, uh, pretty nice looking <laughs> uh, back roads, um, curvy back roads, which in the Midwest is uh, is few and far between. So we'll get cruising, and usually we either make other traffic really upset because we're just we don't. We just we just all follow each other and cut off a bunch of people sometimes, but for the most part, people usually pull out their phones and take a bunch of pictures because it's not every day you see fifty to a hundred Miatas all driving in a line, flashing their headlights and and just looking like a bunch of degenerates. Um, I personally have a pretty cool Husker Miata thus far, and uh, rode on our cruise this weekend with my Husker flag hanging out of my window, so that was pretty fun. So if you're in the Lincoln and Omaha area, specifically Lincoln on a regular basis, if you see a little red Miata um, with a black hood and a black rear spoiler and some gold slash bronze wheels, that would be mine. Um, I friggin' love it. I'm I'm not very mechanically inclined, um, so Miatas are perfect for people like me who don't know what they're doing. 
um, and they're pretty easy <laughs> to work on. So when you screw something up, there's a million and a half form websites that can usually walk you step by step of what you screwed up. Um, so it was a pretty good time. That was pretty much the highlight of my weekend. Um, got some more dog stuff for our puppy. Spent buku bucks on that, but you know it is what it is. Dogs That's usually how it works with dog, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's worth it though. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. What did you uh, What did you do this weekend? I heard you had a uh, a good, relaxing weekend for uh, Father's Day, um, and I th- and you came to Lincoln. What did you What did you and Mama do? Well, first of all, of course, we stopped at your place and dropped off all those boxes and. Had a good time talking with y'all, and and then um, our friends across town, Steve, our buddy Steve and his wife Sherry, they wanted to buy some things from the garage sale that your mom had done that day, so we brought a bunch of that to Lincoln, and then of course they said we have to stay for dinner, and uh, Steve and I enjoyed some really good conversation. Um, he's looking at getting into podcasting himself and was asking oh, me a bunch of questions, really? so that was pretty cool, um, and then he cooked a killer steak i think ah uh, i was about like, to ask you what you guys holy ate. brother it was these one inch thick i believe they were new york strips and uh and then of course he had the really expensive bourbon out so we were sipping on that and eating steak and um sherry made these incredible potatoes so that was fun uh then your mom and i had a nice night um, just hanging out in a motel room watching diners, drive-ins, and dives because we're old, and that's about as romantic as we get anymore. Then we went to church this morning with your brother TJ and uh, went out for lunch, brunch at uh, Granite City, which oh, was kind yum. of a bummer because I uh, really wanted one of those maple pepper bacon flatbreads that I always get there, but they only serve brunch on Sundays. So, oh, um, yeah. and the brunch was good, but it wasn't a maple pepper bacon flatbread <laughs> which is unbelievable if anybody has ever been to granite city you got to try that thing it's supposed to be an appetizer but i always order one and it's just for me so that's what we did and then we came home i took a nap in the easy chair while nascar was on the tv and got set up to record so that's what we're doing now and um we're gonna get into the fun stuff This is going to be our top five most memorable wins, and we've got a few honorable mentions that we want to talk about first. You've got a couple. I've got three, so I'm going to kick this off and talk first about the 1992 Colorado game, which was before you were born. That would have been about the time Amber was just over a year old, your oldest sister, and it was a night game. It was on Halloween. I was, (laughs) I had the dumbest costume freaking ever um i was a big fan of the movie called blues brothers so i had a black fedora on my head okay i had i was actually wearing a black suit coat and a pair of black dress pants i was working at sears at the time in the hardware department and then Uh, i had a red t-shirt on or red kind of dressy red shirt on under the suit coat and then i had used some red face paint and painted and you and on one cheek you on the other and i called myself a red's brother so yeah, doesn't get much dumber. You've, you've than always that. had those weird punny, yeah, punny like dad jokes. Embody yeah, them with like sister a full... was barely a year old, and I was already into dad jokes. It was horrible, and it's not gotten any better. 
That's okay. But the good part was that was Tommy Frazier's first start as a true freshman. Um, and Nebraska just toasted Colorado 52 to 10. And the crowd just got louder and louder and louder after every score. I was working that night at Sears. So we were listening to it on the radio. And luckily it wasn't busy. It seems like way back then in retail, if the Huskers were on TV and you worked, <laughs> you weren't very busy. So I was lucky enough to be able to stand right underneath the speaker <laughs> in the ceiling and be able to hear the basically the whole game. And uh, I just remember that crowd got louder and louder and louder every time we scored. And I had friends that were there that said that the crowd volume was very similar to another game we'll talk about later, which is uh, the Miami game in 2014. So that's my first honorable mention. What's yours? Uh, it looks like my first one would be our, uh, even though really honestly, uh, it was a Mike <laughs> Riley win by a controversial touchdown by Brendan Riley. It was still an exciting game to watch nevertheless, um, especially knocking off a top 10 team at, mm -hmm. in, under any context. It's just, it feels good. Um, especially scored, the way that was season the, was going. Oh God, what a weird season. I just, I, uh, yeah. So, uh, it would be the 2015 win against Michigan state where we beat them 39 to 38 and exciting, uh, two touchdowns in the last two minutes of the game to get a miracle win against a top 10 opponent opponent. It just falls short of being in my top five simply because of the controversy revolving around uh, Riley's eligibility as a receiver. Um, and still to this yeah, day, he's run out of bounds. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it was. It, I, I honestly, if I were a Michigan State fan, I would still be pretty riled up about it. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> no, that was intended. Come on. <laughs> no, literally, I did not mean that. As soon as I said it, I was like, "Ooh, nice." I'll t I'll you've been living in. <laughs> you've been living with me too long. Yeah, I got you. That dad jeans. joke is is I got already set into you. You're not even a dad yet. <laughs> dad jeans, no pun intended there either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I really don't like to mention anything that has to do with Mike Riley because most of those wins were uh, it, it wasn't because of coaching. It was just because all of our team just so happened to be in sync at that exact particular moment, and they were yeah. willing willing to win. There wasn't any sort of coaching genius involved with it. It was just all of our players decided they wanted to play a good game and they did so mm -hmm. that's my honorable mention uh number one what was your uh number two honorable mention there pops my number two on the on the honorable mention would be 2001 oklahoma now i'm pretty sure a lot of people listening are gonna go what what that's not in your top five how is that not in your top five it's it's the black 41 flash reverse or whatever the hell that play was called that uh the ball was snapped crouch Crouch flipped it out to, I believe it was Thunder Collins, was our running one of our running backs at that time. How cool a name is that, right? <laughs> flipped it out to him on a pitch, and then he flipped it back to Stunts on a reverse. And Mike Stunts was the third-string quarterback. And somehow Oklahoma lost track of uh, Crouch after he flipped the ball to Collins. And he goes down the sidelines, and uh, Stunts hits him in a perfect pass. And it was basically the same play that Oklahoma tried to run earlier in the game and Jason White blew out his ACL <laughs> trying to run down the sidelines to catch the pass. Uh, so that's the Jeez. difference between a pocket passer trying to 
do a black 41 flash reverse versus a dude that can run like friggin' track star and Eric Crouch. So, uh, and a lot of people say that Eric Crouch won the Heisman because of that play. I, yeah, that was a big play and he made a good catch. Uh, but he made a lot of pretty dang good catches when he was actually playing wing back back when Bobby Newcomb was the starter in like 1998 and 99 until Newcomb got hurt. And, um, I think he won the Heisman more than anything in that Missouri game when he dropped back to pass, literally into the end zone, got rushed, um, and he just takes off on this crazy, wild touchdown run. If you've ever seen it, any of you, obviously, most Husker fans have, but if you haven't, I would highly recommend you Google that nineteen or that 2001 Missouri game and take a look at that 95-yard touchdown run. It was an absolute thing of beauty. And then the fact that Colorado was kicking the living daylights out of us in Boulder that later that year, which obviously was my number one most devastating loss, but the fact that Crouch just would not give up, and he played harder in that game than I think I ever saw him play, and came pretty doggone close to leading us back into the point where we may have a shot in that game, but... It wasn't to be our defense couldn't stop anybody. So I think that's how he won the Heisman more than anything. So that's my number two um, honorable mention. And let's see here. You've got another one, don't you? Yeah, I've got two more. Um, So Hmm. I'll finish my two real quick, and then you can give your last one and and wrap it up that way. Um, And then roll right right into our top top five wins. Just kind of make it a little bit spicy. Um, so my number, number two honorable mention would have been the 2013 win against Northwestern in a miracle Hail Mary catch. The Wester stash. (laughs) Yes. I just remember it being the first memory I had of Wester camp and I did not know. I mean, I knew he, he had a few, a few roles that he played leading up to the, to that game and that season and whatnot, but I feel like that was the uh, the cornerstone of Westercamp's uh, relevance in Husker football, um, and I feel like it definitely put him in a place where uh, he became more relevant in Husker football from that day forward. Um, yeah, it was just a it was it was just wild. I I remember feeling so defeated already. I was just defeated. I fit, we lost the game. There was no way. Husker right. miracles happen, and then just watching uh, was it Tommy Armstrong or was it Kellogg? It was Kellogg. Um, yeah, it was Kellogg. It was Kellogg. Think- yeah, it was Kellogg. Um, and he bombs it, and it goes right into the crowd of people. And then watching Westercamp just like jump and leap, and <laughs> over everybody, my, just yes, about. <laughs> yeah, and and. My initial thought was, oh, my God, he caught it on the one, like, because he was, mm-hmm. like, heading back into into field um, after he caught it. And I just was like, oh, my God, no, this is the most right. Nebraska thing possible. And then the announcers weren't weren't fraying away from the fact that we had just won. And and then the Zebras raised their hands as a touchdown. And I was like, oh, my God, we freaking won. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was just, uh, one of the most magical moments, um, 
that I, I would say out of all of the Northwestern wins that we've had, all of the slobber knockers that we've had back and forthing with them, that's still... Right. And besides... Uh, yeah, no. Nope, we'll just say uh, that one. That one's good. That one was saucy. Well, I almost put that on my honorable mention, too. Um, and one of the things, folks, you're going to notice as we get through these games is is the top five wins. While they were wonderful wins, it's the memories that are associated with them that really make them incredible for us. Yes. And this is one of those that, for me, it does come with a memory because I didn't get to see this game, the Northwestern game. Uh, I was listening to it, driving through... Oh, good Lord. I believe I was in Wyoming, heading north on I-25 out of Cheyenne. I was on my way up to Montana, I think, with a center pivot. And uh, I deliver a lot of irrigation systems. So I think I was on my way to Montana to deliver one. And um, I thought the game was over, too. And you could hear it in the voices of Greg Sharp and Matt Davison that they just felt defeated as well. And then, <laughs> and then he catches it and... Uh, between Sharp and, and uh, you know, Matt Davison has one of the most manly voices on the planet. But when he goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, and he's up there in this high register like a little girl, almost worse than the, no, it wasn't. The BYU fans that celebrated their win were worse. But he was just, he, he was crazy. And and it was like, wow, this is, I'm, I'm well, damn near caused me to wreck, quite frankly. Um because I was losing my mind, jumping up and down in the seat as best I could, punching the ceiling, all that stuff. So, of course, my hands weren't on the wheel for a few seconds and <laughs> about drove off onto the shoulder. So, uh, hope nobody tells my employer that. Oh, wait, I'm an owner-operator. I'll be all right. Yeah, you'll be all right. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was a company driver at the time, though. But anyway, um, yeah, that was pretty memorable. That's That was a pretty cool game. And then your next one was, um, oh, it's a bowl it. game. Yes, uh, just like I had stated in our, I don't remember if I stated it in our previous podcast or if it was in our mm -hmm. three and a half hour podcast, wh whichever one. That never got one, recorded. Yeah, the one that never actually happened. Uh, well, we've got three and a half hours of your audio. We could release a one-sided conversation. No, I deleted right? that so quick. Uh, I, that would have been cool. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are, folks. It's me. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, mine would be a bowl game for an honorable mention, and that would have been the 2009 Holiday Bowl against Arizona, where we shut them out 33-0. to It was some semblance of redemption for a heartbreaking loss against Texas, um, but, I mean, really, it still sucked regardless having to roll into that bowl game. But as I think all of Husker Nation can agree that there was a synonymous uh, feeling of vengeance throughout the entire state where I don't care. I don't think anybody cared what bowl game we went to. There was no way we were going to lose it. Um, and it was just incredible to watch uh, a really dominating performance by our whole team. Um, I think specifically the one player that stood out to me the most was Matt O'Hanlon. Um, he had just an incredible mm. game. Uh, I just remember him being everywhere on the field. He was making plays. If he wasn't tackling players, he was pushing people out of the way so that other players could make a play. And yeah, I just was really proud of that guy. Um, and it was cool to have our first uh, bull shutout in school history, although it was kind of tainted by the fact that it was Arizona's third time being shut out in a bull game. But, <laughs> you know, 
take a dub when you can. So that's my that's my final honorable mention. Do you remember where you were at during that game by chance? What what you were doing? Actually, I do. I was on my way home. I was uh, working for a meat company here in town at the time, driving for them. I was on my way home, and um, yeah, I do remember. I do remember hearing the first, I think, first quarter on the radio, and then driving home and catching the rest of it on TV. Yeah. Um, and I also I was remember say, that was the game when you saw, um, was it Burkhead? Was he on the team yet? I don't think so. I know I know that was the game where you saw Zach Lee get split out as a split end, and the running back, whoever that was, Halu probably, took the snap, and we did some of that Wildcat stuff. Yeah. And Zach Lee scored there. Zach Lee, I don't think he scored a, a touchdown running the football all season, but he did in that game, and it was the first time we'd ever seen his own read. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting here watching that going, why are we doing this? Because I knew we kind of wanted to go toward a more running-oriented quarterback, but I think they were doing that to play around with some of the packages that they might have wanted to feature Taylor Martinez in the next season because uh, they weren't sure if he was going to be the starter yet at that point. But, um, yeah, that was that was pretty incredible. That was a fun – because I think you guys may have missed the TV coverage. I don't think started covering the Holiday Bowl until after we scored that first touchdown with Zach Lee because I had texted – somebody you or somebody and said oh my god way to go zach lee and you were like what we aren't seeing the game yet yeah <laughs> so i forgot I think about you missed that. that first drive so yeah yeah and i also remember that was the game where bo pelini was on the field and he said nebraska is back and we're mm. not going anywhere oh my gosh i so. that's so funny because me and my me and my freaking bros <laughs> all of my bros all we do is ironically like unironically say uh no Definitely ironically, we will say Nebraska's back, baby. Like anytime we get like a first down or yeah. <laughs> or we don't we don't turn over the ball uh in, in recent years. Uh yeah. Nebraska's yeah. back, baby. <laughs> uh that's the end of yours, right? Yeah, that's in a mind. You got one more. Yep, I got one and I know it's on your top five, and I hate to to jump ahead of one of those that's on your top five, but um, that 2009 Missouri game, when we were in Arizona to watch that, Sue was just unfreaking blockable that night. And yeah, they jumped out to a commanding 12 to nothing lead because we couldn't get out of our own way on offense because it was raining like a... I'd never seen rain in a game quite like that before. So um, Sue kept us in the game, and then, of course, he... Took uh, Gabbard out, which, you know, they all say <laughs> it was a dirty, dirty play, but nah, he just tackled him and happened to get his ankle caught up under him. And when you're 315 pounds and a dude's ankle gets caught up under you, it's not going to end well. Uh, and then, you know what? I, I meant to put this on my notes and I forgot, but rumor has it, and I've only read this in a couple of reports Uh-oh. after the game, that Rumors. Tom Osborne was up in the offensive coach's booth where Sean Icor or Sean Icors, good Lord, uh, Sean Watson was our offensive coordinator at the time. And he told, he told um, Watson, hey, every time we run that play action fake, the tight end is releasing. And, and, they're not covering him very well. And in, and 
that I think was our first score was to a tight end. So he was, he called the play and it was just, it was pretty cool. And then from there it was just, it was just nothing but, <laughs> it was nothing but sad eyes on the Missouri sideline. Cause there was an awful lot of dudes that were caught on camera crying at least one anyway. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty memorable. But, uh, as I said, you know, my top five wins really aren't about the score as much as it's about the opponent at the time or the storylines going into the games and especially the memories for both of us. Uh, but before I get, and before we get to our top five, I just need to reaffirm something. As I said in the last show, Mm -hmm. my list has no Iowa games on it because to hell with Iowa. Um, yeah, that probably means their arrival. Don't care. None of our wins over them were memorable. Not even that 2014 overtime game that we won because they shouldn't have been in the game with us anyway. They're Iowa. What have they done ever besides win occasionally? Sean Eichhorst may have been a jerk as an AD, but he was right about one thing. Iowa wasn't supposed to be on our level. And the only reason they're better than we are now is because we have fallen so far from what we've done before. When we were great, they were nothing but an infected, pus-filled boil on the butt of college football Hmm. so screw them and their stupid boring coach and their stupid boring state they have one other redeemable quality besides that children hospital though and that would be brownells pretty cool pretty cool store lots of fun gun stuff in there um and that place really kicks ass but you know iowa football doesn't it basically gets its ass kicked when it matters most, like the 2016 Rose Bowl after they go undefeated in the regular season, lose to Michigan State in the Big Ten title game, and then go and get absolutely rolled by Stanford. Freaking Stanford. They're as boring as Iowa is, except when Christian McCaffrey was on the field. And by the way, he just scored again, Iowa. Friggin' losers. Anyway, maybe they're a rival, but... And their corn In my mind, sucks. it's only because they share a border and not a similar history. They don't have a history. Yeah, and so, their corn sucks. Anyways. Their corn sucks. Yeah, pretty much. I agree. Completely sucks. But only because they're Iowa. <laughs> yep. Why don't you yep. start with your fifth-ranked game there, Scott? Now we're on yes. our top fives. And by the way, before Scott starts, I'm sorry, Scott, I don't mean to talk over you. Um, if you read the show notes for this episode, there will be links to every single one of these games. And as many as I could find, I found the play by play version. So it didn't, it won't take you more than a half hour to an hour to watch the game, but there were some, I couldn't help it. I had to get the two hour, two and a half hour version. So if you want to watch some of these games and just walk down this memory lane with us, feel free to click those links down below in the show notes. Anyway, sorry about that, Scott. Go ahead and start with game number five for you. That's all good. Um, Resources are very much appreciated. Um, Yeah, check out the games in the notes um, so you can, you know, reminisce on on what we consider our number ones. But like we said earlier, um, we are biased. Uh, mostly for experiential things. There's a lot of emotion, emotional sentiment attached to a lot of these wins. Uh, Absolutely. And I mean, we could go through and pick the most like, most like meritorious wins, but everybody knows what those are. Um, Half of them I wasn't alive for. 
and actually most of them i wasn't either alive for or even cognizantly aware of so uh well you were alive for three of them but not cognizantly aware until maybe (laughs) that first one in arizona in 97 when we won the title with frost you were kind of aware of that but other than that national championships you don't really have any nope. kind of a context for any of that. So that's Which why I weird. purposely it's, not wanted to talk about weird him. because, because yeah. I was just going to say it's weird because like I remember where I was at in 1997, but 2001, not a clue. I remember going to, I remember going to, I think the YMCA for a new year's little shindig we had. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So, Rolling into into my top five wins, uh, mine are in no particular order for the same for the exact reason, except for number one. The exact reason, like I stated before, they're all just very sentimental. Um, so at number five, uh, I picked the 2018 win against Michigan State uh, at home. It was the very cold and windy, snowy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm biased with that simply because I was at that game. Uh, But it was still an incredibly fun and energetic game to watch, um, especially having a unique grind in the snow to win in a perfect Big Big Ten fashion. Uh, If any of our listeners were at that game, uh, I think everybody can agree that (laughs) going into the fourth quarter, there was like an electricity and a warmth that everybody felt um, just going down to the wire in a in a kickers only game, which is just weird because it was windy, it was cold, it was miserable. Um, I honestly couldn't feel my fingers or my toes because I was on the northwest side of the stadium and I was stuck in a wind tunnel. Uh, so there was just no getting away from the cold for me. Um, I actually really enjoyed it when the folks in front of me stood up because then I could sit down. And have like the wind <laughs> like blocked from me for a moment and enjoy the warmth of my my depleting uh hand warmers. Thank God for those. Jeez Louise. Um but the other thing that was wonderful about the game is I got tickets for eleven bucks. Uh or mm-hmm. I got a ticket for eleven bucks. I it was a last second decision uh to go to the game. Right. I woke up, I checked Ticketmaster, saw eleven bucks, and I was like, All right, I'm going. Um and I've never seen Memorial Stadium in such a aesthetically pleasing manner before. Um, the snow is surreal to be a part of, and honestly, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything up to this moment um, in my Husker experiences in Memorial Stadium. Uh, right. It was a much-needed win, especially considering Frost dumpster fire of a start, you know, the worst start of Husker football history. <laughs> going zero and six to start the frost era it was however our last win of 2018 season before losing to iowa the following week it is going to be still sealed as probably my most memorable win thus far in the frost era and hopefully i can see better ones not the last one yeah not going to be the last one but uh let's see what what the future holds i remember that game too because i was sitting in your apartment watching them uh, with your mom and I think Joey and Levi were with us and yeah. Tim was there cause that was part of me you shared with Tim at the time. So yeah, I remember watching that and we kept saying all the way through the, through the, Oh, and TV kept showing the student section. You could see a friend of ours from uh third city 
Kale yeah. up there yeah, just Kale. dancing in the stands every just time there was time. a break. He's up there dancing. <laughs> I don't know how he has the energy him. for that. So yeah, that was crazy. That was a fun game to watch. I remember just sitting there uh, when he's lining up for that kick and just going. That wind is swirling. I'm like, this is. Oh Lord, please, 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 please! And then it goes through, and I'm like, I looked at your mom, and she looked at me, and she goes, "Yeah, Scott's going nuts right about now." And I'm like, "Yeah, if he can, I'm not sure if he can still stand anymore. It's awfully cold out there." And then didn't you end up having to do snow removal later that night? Yeah, yeah. I immediately had yeah. to. I had to leave and warm up for a moment, and then go and do snow removal for uh, the first maintenance job that I had when I moved to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was. That was a uh, that was not particularly great, um, but you know <laughs> it, it was, is what it is. The energy you got from the game though probably carried you through. I would hope. Oh, it did. I put in my I put in my headphones, and I think I listened <laughs> to uh, one of the episodes of Hail Varsity that I hadn't listened to up to uh, that game, and that was that was that was kind of the that was the day that was the day as far as I can remember. Um, I just remember mm-hmm. my <laughs> being frozen the whole day. Um, but yep, 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 yep. What is your, what is your, uh, where are you going to start with this whole top five wins? I'm definitely not starting with Iowa. Iowa. Ah, Um, weird. Number five for me is 2011 Ohio state. The biggest comeback in Memorial stadium in Nebraska football history. Um, I just remember going into that game. Ohio state was what one in, I mean, they were, Awful. Their record they was were awful. They were bad. Um, they had this young freshman quarterback that really hadn't played much named Braxton Miller. And um, they decided familiar. they were going to start him in our game. And they jump out to, uh, what was it, 21, 23 to 6 or whatever it was at halftime. Um, I just remember the Boo Birds were out easily by the early in the second quarter when we just couldn't get anything done on offense because they might have been awful on offense, but they were still Ohio State on defense. Uh, They were really, really good until the end of the game once we wore them down a little bit. But, you know, you get into the third quarter, it was 21 or 20. No, it was 20 to 6 is what the halftime score was. And then I think their first or second possession in the third quarter, their Running back breaks off like a 60-some-odd-yard run, and it's 27-6. to six, And I'm like, well, this is going to be a long night. And I remember we were all sitting on the couch watching together. And, oh, let's see. Was it? Yeah, it was Levante David, uh, the strip sack, when I can't remember who it was that busted through, grabbed Braxton Miller, was dropping him, and Levante jumps over top and grabs the ball out of his arms before his butt hits the ground. And that was it. One play, we got like four yards with Burkhead, and then the next play was uh, that old diamond formation that Watson loved, or not Watson, but Tim Beck loved to call in 2011 with three running backs surrounding Martinez, and you just didn't know who was going where. I kind of like that. That was a a bit fun sometimes to watch. If they could do it right. Faked it too. I think it was Burkhead, or because we had Aaron Green, we had Braylon Hurd, you had Burkhead, and I think you had. Amir at that time. And yeah, he faked it to one of those three and it was like, there was nobody there. He could trot into the end zone for Martinez. And then that just kind of started the snowball rolling. 
He had a great second half. Uh, they run that same dying formation again on the very next possession. And uh, Aaron Green was wide open on a wheel route up, up the right sideline. And Taylor didn't see him. He just was eyeballing, who was it? Quinton? Uh, good Lord. Quincy Inunua. That's ah, who it was. He was eyeballing yes. him right off the line. And Quincy wasn't really open, but Taylor threw it to the only place he was going to catch it. And uh, that got us up to 27 to 20. Then I think it was the Stanley Jean Baptiste interception in the fourth quarter that got us to the possession where Burkhead catches that swing pass. And uh, it's a juke yes. move that I still say is one of the greatest freaking moves I've ever seen. I'm like, holy crap. He made that guy look stupid. I, I'm not sure if that guy has ever <laughs> quit blushing since that. I mean, he just, and then the power that he used to get into the end zone. Nobody wanted to hit him. I mean, he was coming full tilt and the guy had the angle, but I don't think he really wanted to hit him. So, and then of course that last run that he did to take the lead, just, he had a little bit of a crease, but that's really all Burkhead needed. And, you know, 18 yards later, he's in the end zone. And then it was still what, seven minutes left in the game, six minutes left in the game. So we stopped them get the ball back, and then it was basically the Rex Burkhead show. And then you had the one play where Martinez kept the ball, goes around the right side, and the Ohio State player hits him helmet-to-helmet, gets 15-yard penalty, keeps the play, you know, keeps the drive going, and uh, takes a knee on, like, the 11-yard line to win the game. And it was just, that was what Nebraska football is supposed to be. You get down, you don't quit fighting, and I'll give it to Pelini. He had a way at times when it really mattered that he could get stuff done if the guys were completely behind him. And I just wonder a couple, three years later, if the guys really weren't completely behind him anymore, especially when we got to that Wisconsin game in 2014. But we don't want to revisit that one because then I'm going to get depressed and grab another beer out of the fridge. And I don't want to do that because, you know, the first time we tried to record episode two, <laughs> anyway, so that's my that's my number five is Ohio State in 2011. Uh, I still watch that game once in a while. It's just fun to watch. So anyway, your number four. My number four is going to be another bowl game uh, mention is going to be the 2005 uh, Alamo Bowl against Michigan. Uh, as previously talked about in... Uh, episode two, where we just kind of discussed our Husker fandom and their history and whatnot. This is probably my earliest Husker memory of just experiencing the euphoria of of winning as a team. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's still probably it is definitely my earliest, most vivid memory of a Husker win. Um, and it's honestly what sealed my fate for being a Husker fan. So for whatever that's worth, uh, <laughs> it was the first <laughs> and only bowl in of the Callahan era. And that is yes. honestly, honestly, it's what gave me a taste for wanting more victory. Unfortunately, we just didn't see it for a while. That final lateral play of the game was so unbelievably exciting for me because I hadn't seen football like that before. I didn't even know that such a thing existed. Oh, at the end or, of the game. Yeah. Yes. I was I remember I was screaming and asking you questions and you were like, "Just wait." And <laughs> uh 
because I was like, what's going what on? <laughs> Why hasn't the game ended? I don't understand this. They've thrown the ball this many times, and as far as I'm aware, this is not a thing that football allows. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lo and behold, my ignorance prevails, and and uh, we stop them. And it it just was such a... It was such an exciting thing to, such an exciting, just an exciting thing to witness. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really remember the Solich era, only the beginnings of the Callahan era, and so how that all transpired into me becoming a fan, I really don't know. But I really do hold, uh, I hold the, the fact that we won that game very much responsible for me just wanting us to win again. I got a taste of it. It was like crack. I was like, give me some more. Of the- yeah. And, and I need more against- of it. Yeah. And then I, and then I got deprived. It was like, you handed a crack rock to me and then I tried it. And then there was no crack left for, for me for like years. Um, <laughs> and then so, you handed me salt. And that yes. Was it, then you, in then you handed salt. me salt yeah. and I injected it into my <laughs> veins at a very early age. Um, <laughs> and maybe maybe that's what it was you know resentment you know resentment breeds uh something you know there's a, there's a statement somewhere contempt there. something like yeah, that yeah 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 that, that's how it goes anyway so that was that was kind of a uh yeah i i the reason why i put it in my top five is simply because of its established uh beginnings it's definitely the mm-hmm. beginnings of my husker fandom is that yep. game so, and i remember we mentioned that in episode two as well um, and that, that was also the time when I became an over the road truck driver. So I remember that very clearly, uh, because of course <clears throat> I had to go to Oklahoma to do my training for the company I was going to drive for. So I heard nothing but, you know, y'all got lucky beating Michigan and this, that, and the other, and you're Nebraska, you shouldn't be playing in the Alamo bowl and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, I got an NFL coach now. We're going to be back. <laughs> <laughs> How freaking wrong I was. Um, so yeah, 2010 Missouri for me is number four. Um, of course, 2009 being honorable mention, it's obvious that 2010 would be something that was memorable to me, mostly because this was the era of uh, T-Magic had, had begun that season. And mm-hmm. he looked unbeatable for five games. And then in game six, I believe it was, of the season, was Texas. And they were horrible, but we couldn't beat them in our stadium. And it was just how Taylor Martinez went from looking like a legit Heisman candidate as a redshirt freshman to incapable of doing anything was unbelievable. I remember Zach Lee eventually came into that game. I know, I know you and I both were sitting there watching the game going, good God, coach, put Zach Lee in. <laughs> Dude who had a noodle for an arm because he just had surgery on it. And, uh, and, and, and it was typical. That was, like we've said in prior episodes, this team seems to be snake bit when it really matters at times. This Texas game was one of them. They just couldn't get out of their own way. And Zach Lee comes in. Throws a perfect pass to, I don't remember if it was Niles Paul or somebody else, but he literally dropped it right in a bucket and the pass was dropped. It would have been a sure touchdown. It might have put us in a position where we could win the game, but it got dropped. Nobody was there. The the DB was two yards behind him. There's no reason he doesn't drop, he doesn't catch that ball. So that was painful. And then the next week, 
Everybody was saying the Oklahoma State team, we're going down there to play them after what happened against Texas. There's just, you know, is Taylor the guy? Can he get it done? And then all he does is throw 323 yards and five touchdowns. And uh, we beat them. It was like a 41 to 31 or 45, 35 shootout, something to that effect. So couple that with the fact that Missouri that very same week beats Oklahoma in the night game, number one, Oklahoma. So Missouri's coming into Lincoln and everybody had pretty much picked them to win. There was no way Nebraska was going to beat a number seven team in Lincoln after they couldn't beat an unranked Texas two weeks before. We were ranked 14 and uh, the message boards were kind of going crazy. Uh, there was, I can't remember what it was called, Husker Central or something was a message board that I was on. And of course, being Nebraska fans and the guys that run the message boards, they had no problem letting opposing fans be on the boards too. So of course, all the Mizzou fans were on there were saying we had no shot and our offense was a joke and Taylor Martinez was a one-trick pony and this, that, and the other, and that they were going to destroy us after what Dirty Sue did to Gabbert the year before. And then... <laughs> one handoff and 66 yards later and Missouri didn't know what the f just hit him because Halou Jr. goes off for three TD runs of 66, 73, and 53 yards in the first half alone and uh, rushes for a record 307 yards. It's still the record for uh, Husker running backs in a single game. Arguably, in my mind, the most underrated running back that Nebraska has had easily For since sure. the since the mid eighties, early nineties, just because he when he finished, he was ranked fourth in the all time rushing charts for yardage from scrimmage uh as a running back. So that was, was pretty clean. impressive. He was clean. He's not anymore, you know, Amir's made sure of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I don't know, I think there might be somebody else ahead of him too, but I think Taylor's probably ahead of him as well. Um, but anyway, I just remember the crowd went eight every single time he busted through the hole and the line was opening up. Good God. A fullback could have probably scored on half of those plays. They're creating the, valleys. They, they just, yeah, they were just pancaking people left and right. And then of course, this was also the game where T-Magic lost the magic because that high ankle sprain was yeah. suffered in this particular game. And I don't think he fully ever recovered from it. Nope. And as a person who has suffered one, granted I'm 53, he was 20 some odd years old or maybe not even 20 yet, probably 18 or 19 if he was a redshirt freshman. Um, I'm never going to criticize anyone ever again about how long it takes him to get over a high ankle sprain because it still hurts. And that was back last September. Uh, but of course I'm 53. It's supposed to be, <laughs> it's supposed to not work. Right. <laughs> and the pain, holy cow. When you first do it, the pain is unreal. And wasn't it the next week that was one of your games from last week, the A&M game, wasn't that the next, the next week or two weeks later? And Martinez was playing on that, trying Shoot. to lead an offense when he could barely walk. So... <sighs> Yeah, it was just know. crazy. The kid was tough. I'll never take that away from him. He was as tough as tough could get. Um, it just, yeah, that was it was an incredible game, that Missouri game. You got any thoughts? Do you remember that Missouri game at all? Um, I do. I just remember it was almost like, 
I, I would compare it to like when I would go play NCAA and on my on my PlayStation Two and before a game, just for fun, just for funsies, I would go into the opposing team's player stats and I would crank all of their speeds, all of their stats down to forty. So they were as slow as humanly possible. Um, <laughs> and then you crank yours up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, sometimes, I, I mean, I would, but other times is like the, the the contrast between the two was just so great. I didn't really need to. And that was what Helu felt like watching him just blast past every single, every single player with ease. Um, I just remember mm-hmm. that. It was almost like Helu didn't even have to try. He just had to hit the hole and just get on his gun and he was Mm -hmm. gone he didn't have to do any fancy juke moves he didn't have to do any sort of maybe one or two finesse moves every once in a while but for the most part it was just run and gun and Mm -hmm. it was it was incredible i don't know if it was just missouri was super underrated or if Huskers overrated i would say yes yes sorry did i say underrated my bad yeah it's Um, all good yeah, I think I think it was they were overrated and Huskers were preparing for the team that beat the number one team in the country, and I think that that combined mm-hmm. was a was yeah. was a formula for success for sure. You know, now that you mentioned uh, watching Halu do what he did and and just the, I remember reading a story. I think it was Lincoln Journal Star. I don't remember which newspaper it was, but. Halu and his dad would always go out to eat together after a game. They talked about this in this story, that that was kind of their thing. His dad would come to town, watch him play. They'd always go out to eat after a game, and he would tell his son, hey, could have done this, could have done that, because his dad was pretty much his coach um, in high school. And he walks into this restaurant, I think it was Misty's or something like that in Lincoln, and Halu had a hoodie over his head, because he didn't want any of the fans, obviously it was ton of Husker fans in there and he didn't want them to recognize him and be mobbed right and he sits down at the table keeps the hood up over his head he's way back in the corner with his dad they're talking and some fan like two tables away said it in the story the fan was quoted as saying it's okay Roy we know it's you you can take your hood off we're not gonna bother you and I was like that is like the coolest thing ever that this kid that just broke a sacred record was going to be left alone to eat dinner with his dad. It's just the coolest thing ever. It's why, you know, in my mind, there's no place like Nebraska. Um, so now that we've gotten that kind of candy, sweet, sickeningly, whatever out of the way, <laughs> you can go Let's ahead roll. with your number three game, which yeah. is also a Missouri game. Yes. Uh, my number three is going to be, uh, is going to be another, Another rendition of your honorable mention, which is the 2009 win mm-hmm. against Missouri, where we beat them 27 to 12. Um, and like you said, we were shut out zero points, and they had 12 points, and that was for the first three quarters. Um, what I remember about the game, because because yeah, you definitely remember more of the stats and the plays and whatnot. And I just remember like the overall kind of feeling, especially cause I was younger, 2009. Uh-huh. Um, I just remember, yeah, we were in Arizona, we were in a hotel, we we're on the first floor in the hotel. Um, and it was awful. Like you mentioned, it was like one of the very few times you were able to watch a, 
a game with your family um, from Arizona. And so it was it was just painful to have to sit through the first three quarters with them and we're yelling, we're getting mad. There's a few, there's a few <laughs> things that, that are just probably distasteful. And, and I know mom gets embarrassed with those kind of things. So she was just kind of already getting flustered by it. Um, but it was I think just, she was more worried about how my dad was reacting because he just couldn't understand why we're so, it's a game. What are you doing? You know, I remember that. And then she was yes. like, you just need to chill. Grandpa's not, doesn't understand this. And we're like, no. No. It doesn't Didn't matter. Did she go out and get Sopapia during the game? Is that what yeah. she ended up doing? Yeah, I was going to say, Sopapia I feel like from, she left. From uh, Poncho's because she couldn't take us anymore. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> And we got rewarded happened. with Sopapia. <laughs> yes, and I think she came back, like, I think it was halftime when she left, and... Um, and hold on a second. I have a dog on my lap, and he and he's he's finning a pee right now. So give me a second. I'm gonna set him in his little uh in his little uh cage area over here. I'll be right back. It's all good. We can let him do that. I mean, dog owner, all that fine stuff, and yeah, you can hear him. He's he's telling Tom to uh, chill. Maybe drop a couple of option plays. Yeah, it's all good. There we go. All right. So what I remember the most of that game was just the the visceral change of the game, that once we started to get some momentum going, the torrential downpour really started to come down. Uh, mm-hmm. And Sue, like you had mentioned previously, Sue was the lifeblood of that game uh, rolling into the fourth quarter. And then he just really took it to a new level. And I just remember when Sue just demolished Blaine Gabber and treated him like a rag doll. It was just, just tossed him, just threw him like three feet in the air Mm -hmm. with like one arm. It was like, what in the world is going on? This is amazing. Um, and we went from yelling for three quarters to yelling but in a positive manner, um, to the point where mom had enough. And she was like, that is it. You guys need to be quiet. We're in a hotel. There's other people. And I don't, I don't remember what exactly I said, but I told her to just leave, like go leave again, like go away. And, uh, and I got in trouble for that. Um, (laughs) I remember my mom gave me the stink eye. only one. She pointed her finger at me, you know, got that little like that that squinted eye, and just looked at me, and I was like, "Ah, shit, this is gonna hurt later." Um, <laughs> the freeze but, boiling water from across the room look. Yeah, yes. that's what we've called it since we got married because she's an expert at it because she does it a lot. Yes, and probably has to. And uh, and then just the most the one of the most memorable moments, and it's still. Uh, I think you can still find it in GIFs or just in photos of if you look up like Missouri fan. Um, I think that the the Missouri uh, side or was it? No, like Missouri. If you just yeah, if you look up uh-huh. Missouri crying, you can just get a bunch of uh, a bunch of still shots of the Missouri sideline crying. Um, yeah. Don't know if it was because it was raining, but uh, they were definitely there were definitely some tears rolling down their face because. It was such a grinding game. And oh, there then... was a there was a linebacker seriously crying on the sidelines. A starter, 
just yeah, it was it was joyous. It was. I hate to be unsportsmanlike, but damn, it was joyous. It was so good. But uh, anyway, yeah. That's that's, my number three. I like that one. That's a good one. That is a good one. Well, the next couple, because we started with me, right? Because I just got done with, oh no, my number three is a Missouri game. Wow, we've got like three Missouri games in a row here. Um, 97, Missouri, which probably is not one you're going to remember much. I do, because it was extremely um, tense and tight, and I completely missed how it ended. I know. What a Husker fan. What kind of a Husker fan am I if I missed the kick six or the flea kicker or whatever the hell the Missouri people like to call it because they're still pissed that we won? Um, I missed it completely. We lived in Mesa at the time, as you said, when we were talking about that 97 national championship game back Mm -hmm. in episode two. And there was a Husker bar about two miles from our house, straight down Gilbert Road, that I would go to. It's not there anymore. Um, And that's what I did. I went right down there, was watching the game. Uh, The Blackshirts had a really bad day. They just could not deal with Missouri's Missouri's quarterback, Corby Jones. Missouri was not a option team like we were. So the type of mobility that Corby Jones had was the same kind of mobility that our quarterbacks had, but not in an option context. He was just really good at escaping the pocket once the rush got there. And we just couldn't stop him when it mattered. It was like, remember Braxton Miller in the 2011 uh, Ohio State game, whenever somebody got near him, it seemed like he always got a first down. That's exactly what Corby Jones did in this 97 game against Missouri. So... Get to about halfway through the third quarter, and I think Nebraska was still trailing, like by four points or something to that effect. And I had to leave because we were involved with a church. In fact, it was the same church that your mom and I met in, and we were involved. They were doing a church plant out further east in the valley, and we were involved in it. So we were always involved in a prayer meeting prior to, uh, for the last six to eight weeks before the church plant would actually get launched. So... I was committed to going to these prayer meetings every Saturday night. But, you know, I'm I'm dedicated in my faith, no doubt about it, but I'm not so dedicated that I wasn't going to wear a set of freaking earbuds. And I did. I had a pair of earbuds and an FM, little pocket FM radio. And the third national championship was basically on the line in this game. And I was just going to listen as long as I possibly could, or maybe all the way through the game, if I didn't get caught. Because I kind of figured out how to hide one of the earbuds behind my back and the other one be in my ear and have the cord go (laughs) down my shirt the whole nine yards. So we listened in the van on the way over to the church and then I put the earbud in on the other side of my ear so your mom couldn't see it. And uh, yeah, got all the way in, was listening, and I think I said yes under my breath when we stopped him on a third down play or something (laughs) and we were going to get the ball back right at the very end of the game and going to start that very last drive where we tied the game and your mom looked at me and gave me that look like yeah I know you're listening and I had to shut it off so I had no idea I didn't think we were going to win anyway but I was determined I was going to listen all the way to the end and hear the bitter end Uh, But I couldn't, so I kind of resigned myself to the fact that we're not going to win. And no such thing as smartphones back then, so um, I couldn't follow it anyway on a device of any kind. So I had to wait until I got home, 
We had a dial-up modem, and it took that that night. It was probably the longest dial-up tone I'd ever heard in my life. Even though I was dreading, <laughs> yeah, I was dreading looking up the results anyway. But still, it took forever. And imagine my shock to see the Miracle in Missouri headline on my favorite Husker website at the time, which is, I think, known as Huskerpedia now. I don't remember what it was called back then. I don't think it was Huskerpedia. But I waited five minutes it took to buffer a video just to watch the 30-second play of Scott Frost scoring the tying touchdown on a option play. And then I had to wait like another five minutes to watch the... Um, or no, the flea kicker is what I watched first. And then I had to watch the tying, took five more minutes to watch the tying touchdown. It was, it was, or the winning touchdown. It was crazy. I was sitting there going, is this real? Am I really watching this? Cause there's no way we won this game in my mind. Cause when I shut it off, there was like a minute, eight seconds left and we were running out to try a last second drive and we're an option <laughs> team. We don't throw the ball and we're 45, 55 yards away from the end zone. So, um, obviously you're, probably not going to have any memories of this game other than the fact that um, I lost my mind in the apartment <laughs> when I found out we won. So, uh, but yeah. And then of course, Wistrom and the guys figured out how to finally sack Corby Jones at the very end of the game on fourth down in overtime. And I think that was the only time, maybe there was one other sack in the game. I don't remember for sure. So that's mine. That's my number hmm. three. Yeah, and I have zero input about that other than just watching the uh, the flea kicker highlights. That was pretty cool. And um, well, and what's amazing about that play is the fact that Davison is lined up on the other side of the formation, split out wide on the left sideline, and he comes all the way across the field in the end zone and never quits on the play. Um, <clears throat> and he wouldn't have been there if he had quit, if he would have just ran his guy off the ball and not cut back into the end zone and come back across the formation, uh, he would have never caught that ball. So he was literally the reason we won was because he never quit. And, you know, Shevin Wiggins was like, oh, I'm falling down. I'm going to just throw my foot up in the air and make sure the ball stays up for another half a second. <laughs> so <laughs> that helped. Um, but anyway, that was my number three. We are down to our top two, which we both share the same two games. Um, yes, we do. So why don't you start off with number two, Miami, uh, the number two game on our list. And uh, what's the first thing that jumps to your mind about that game? Uh, first thing that jumps to my mind about the game was just how freaking loud the crowd got. It was mm -hmm. insane. Um, very few games I had ever been to in Memorial Stadium up to that point. And I remember saying to you at some point during the game, I was like, is this as loud as I think it is? Because it is freaking loud. Mm -hmm. um, and it, particularly one of the uh, plays that I remember, we discussed it earlier, um, was a Levante David um, who came out of nowhere and sacked Brad Kaya. Um and no, that was Randy Gregory. Randy Gregory, okay. I he was wearing those. the same number, but yeah, it was yes. Randy Gregory. It was Gregory Gregors. So Gregors, uh, just finally got to Kaya because, like you had stated earlier, and I forgot about it until until we had our conversation before recording the podcast that 
He was. Mm-hmm. He was being held the whole time, double teamed, you know, tackled right. to the ground, and there wasn't a single yellow flag called. Um, and then when he finally got to him, the whole crowd just lit up. And I'm sure on TV, people were probably thinking, wow, you know, the crowd's just really excited that we got a great defensive play. But I think every swing and pee-pee in that stadium was just was just <laughs> happy about the uh, about the vengeance that was finally taking place. Um, that was that was the first memory that comes to mind about the game um, is just how loud it was and how crazy we went when Kaya got sacked. And then I just remember Abdullah. I remember Abdullah having a great game. He had 35 carries for 229 yards, two touchdowns. Yep. I do remember the uh, the pass from Armstrong to Kenny Bell in the first quarter after yes. being down seven to zip. Um, I remember the crowd going ecstatic then too. Um, and that was kind of what, I mean, we were already loud anytime there was our what was it their first i don't remember if they had two or three maybe just one yeah it was just one it was just one uh one possession up to that point miami had had a uh, done gosh i'm not using english very well right now uh <laughs> they only had one possession up to that play so we were already going nuts and then when kenny bell got his 40 yard touchdown pass it was just once again just absolutely bonkers um Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I just remember it being kind of a slobber knocker back and forth. Uh, just going back and forth uh, all the way up until shoot, it didn't. It wasn't until the fourth quarter, uh, even after Miami got a field goal to put it within seven, uh, and then Drew Brown kicked field goal, brought it back up to ten, and then Amir Abdullah after. Uh, after a 70-yard six-play series, and we got it up to 41 to 24, uh, mm-hmm. that was pretty. That was pretty neat. And then, yeah, and then it was like, all right, our defense has to hold out because I feel like a Nebraska thing to do would be would be uh, giving up, you know, 17 points in the last two minutes, yeah. four minutes of the game, uh, <laughs> but. Mm-hmm. It's all good. It's all good. We kept them. We kept them. I mean, they did a. I'm looking at ESPN right now, and they had a 14 play, 79 yard series uh, to get a touchdown with 18 seconds left in the game. So, right, it was kind of a grind for them to go down the field, um, but it was it was reassuring to us as we were sitting there in the final moments of the game, mm-hmm. um, and it was cool. Uh, the other thing that I remember, um. I really don't remember much about the game other than just generalities. Uh, The only reason why I'm throwing a bunch of stats right now is because I had to pull up the ESPN game summary uh, (laughs) and I'm just looking at it right now. Uh, But I don't really remember much about the game because it was like right after I got back from boot camp. Uh, I was on my 10 days of boot camp leave before heading off to MCT, which is Marine combat training. Uh, and I just remember kind of just being like, you know, in a fog, just in a fog, kind of numb a little bit, uh, just kind of like, oh my gosh, the real world. This is kind of nice. I miss this real worldness. Um, right. But yep, yeah, that, 
that's my number that's my number two game uh it's it's your number two as well and i know you have a completely different kind of perspective of why the game was so profound to you so why was it why was it it was it was profound in many of the same ways it was for you i remember amir's performance uh i remember that sack that gregory made and uh, especially the fact that it was like he was doing his best imitation of the rock from wwe uh <laughs> literally tackled him by his head but decapitated him actually uh, i just remember the team was just fired up they were playing so hard that night um, and of course we were both there. We were able to get tickets from a friend of mine cause you'd asked, you know, I'm coming home. Uh, I want to go to the Miami game. I'm like, well, let's make it happen. So we got the tickets. Um, and it of course, uh, started off just you're home from boot camp. Of course I was there for graduation in San Diego and it was some of the most patriotic moments of my life. Uh, emotional as well, which, you know, then I'm standing next to you during the anthem before the tunnel walk and you're standing at attention and you'd been chatting with the guy sitting next to you who turned out to be a car, uh, Colonel in the army and just looking over and seeing both of you stand at attention. I usually sing the anthem in the state. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, I was too emotional. And then, you know, throw on to it, it, it you know, I'm, we sit down, everybody kind of calms down. You see the video start for the tunnel walk and all this stuff. And, for some reason, it never occurred to me that this might be the game in 2014 when they would celebrate the 1994 National Championship. Just didn't even register with me. Why? I don't know. But it didn't. And then the video starts, the tunnel walk starts, and they were like, you see all these highlights from 94. And I went, oh, they're going to do this right now. I'm already an emotional wreck. And then I see all these guys that I admired walk out of the tunnel, you know, Osborne, all the assistant coaches that were healthy enough to be there were there. Charlie McBride, the offensive line, one of the offensive line coaches. I remember watching him get wheeled out on a wheelchair by a couple of his offensive linemen. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was a mess. And then, and then, uh, to top it off, you had that young kid that was the nephew of Brooke Behringer wearing his Jersey. Uh, and the team walking out arm in arm with them and mm. uh, just, you know, cause you're so, I was so emotionally attached to that team. Cause it was the team that shouldn't have won. They shouldn't have won a national title. Both their top two quarterbacks went down. They were down to a walk on for a game or two game and a half. And they still managed to do it. And there's just so much emotion result revolved around that team. And then to throw in the fact that we're playing Miami that night too, and they knew it. So, of course, they were out for blood, too, and they were dirty as Miami is always on team. There was just uh, on the field. It's just they didn't care that they were in Memorial Stadium. They didn't care how much 92,000 people were going to boo us. They were going to hold. They were going to grab. They were going to cause fights. They were going to do everything they possibly could to derail that game. In fact, they were doing the Oklahoma drill down at the other end of the stadium while our tunnel walks were going on, which was, you know, I can understand it. Yeah, let's get ourselves fired up while they're doing all their hoo-ha down at that other end. And everybody was booing them, got the student section fired up. And then, you know, we had all that 
heat during the game with the dead ball penalties and the scrums. You remember all the fights, right? Oh, dude, it was, I forgot <laughs> about the fights. I think Randy Gregory yanked some dude's helmet off or something. And that started break. something. They went to a commercial and it just got worse and worse. It took them 10 minutes to break it up. And, uh, you know, and then a few minutes later, Josh Mitchell grabs that fumble that Duke Johnson, who also had a killer game that night, I think he ran for damn near 200 yards on our defense, which should have let us know that the Wisconsin game was coming. But um, <laughs> he just, <laughs> when he picked up that fumble and took it off for 57, I remember standing there going, are you effing kidding me? There's no way we're doing this. Are you effing kidding me? No way, no way. And everybody else was going, and I just, my ears were ringing after that play. That had to have been the loudest the crowd was the entire night in my mind it was the loudest the crowd had been um just and then of course as you said amir runs for 220 some yards and you know what really the difference in the game was turnovers oh uh, yeah he had three we had two and the one extra turnover they had was seven points yep and yep, you know yep, we yep. won by 10 so otherwise and yardage was almost identical 456 for nebraska and 435 for miami so it was a really even game offensively. Um, it was a back and man, forth. Man, it was fun. That was as much, that was probably for me, the most fun of any game I've watched in Memorial Stadium. And I was there for 1995 Oklahoma. Uh, so, which was fun as well because we kicked their ass 37 to nothing. But um, yeah, that that Miami game was unbelievable. So there we go. There We've gotten through number two. Now we both share the exact same number one game, which is 2008 Colorado. Um, what are your first memories that stick out about that game? Uh, it would be... I would, I would quantify it as the most exciting win of all time in my Husker fandom memories that I could okay. possibly think of. Um, for multiple reasons, uh, it was just a back and forth game, as a lot of these games in our top five tend to be. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it definitely set up the insane amount of tension, leading to the most nerve wracking field goal of my lifetime, uh, <laughs> with Alex Henry and his fifty seven yard field goal. Um, caused so much adrenaline in my like 13 year old body that I couldn't even handle it. Uh, I remember running around the house screaming cause I just didn't <laughs> know what else to do besides sprint and scream. Um, and, I and then I, were, you. <laughs> yes, you yelled at me. You were like, get it's back not, in here. The game is not over. And, <laughs> and then I had the, like the cold chills of like, oh Yeah. The game isn't over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, I just was over, over, overly joyed with that. Um, and then to my amazement, the adrenaline rush was, uh, oh, shoot. Dang it. Okay. There we go. You were messing around with some, thing in our, some things ah, in our notes, and it was moving my stuff down. So I was very Sorry. confused. Uh, it's okay. Uh Yes, uh, I just remember my, my adrenaline rush and my disbelief uh, wasn't over yet because when Cody Hawkins goes to throw a ball, it was deflected by Zach Potter, and Sue intercepts that 
and then runs 30 yards for a touchdown following the most disrespectful stiff arm in all of Husker <laughs> football history. Um, I could not, I could not believe what I witnessed. It was like, how in the world, like I knew Indomitian Sue was a good player, just dominant all over the field. But mm-hmm. that was like, it was, wasn't it his second interception of the season at that point? It was, yeah, it was his second, I think it was his second overall interception and definitely his second interception for a touchdown. Cause I think he had one in the non one of the non-conference games as well. Yeah, and that one was at like a goal line. That was like a that we had them down. Uh, it was like a short little thing. It was just incredible to watch a three hundred, yeah. a three hundred and fifteen pound man run as fast as he did. <laughs> and I, yep. it, I mean, he he picked up his knees and everything. It was like he took a he was in a running back camp right before mm-hmm. the game and he used that skill. Um, and it was just an incredible experience. Uh, I just remember it being uh, the last, the last football game that you and I and and our whole family got to have with Grandpa. Right. Um, and that was that was just a, you know, it's just emotional to think about that. Um, our Grandpa, uh, he passed away in two thousand eight um, from multiple cancers. Um, mm-hmm. and Husker, Husker football was his lifeblood. That was mm-hmm. like dad said in episode two, that was what probably won, uh, my mom over to my dad was the fact that my dad was a Husker fan. And, and if there was any, if there was any semblance of, of, of getting along with a possible father-in-law of the future, <laughs> I had if a leg up. One, yes, he had a leg up over anybody that she could possibly find from the great state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's another part that stands out to me. And I have a feeling that you are going to share the same sentiments as I do. Um, mm-hmm. But your memories are probably might have some more uh, some more uh, insight to provide. But for me, that's my top five. Uh, capping it off with that. 40 to 31 win against Colorado in 2008. And it still holds Mm -hmm. a very, very dear place in my heart for all of the reasons stated. So what was your experience with that game pops? Yeah, I was, I remember going into that game knowing that Colorado wasn't very good. I'm trying to remember, I think I was coming off the road then too. So mom had to come pick me up somewhere and bring me over to, grandma and grandpa's house because that was kind of the thing we did especially at the beginning of the Pelini era and toward the end of the Callahan era was we watched almost every game over at grandma and grandpa's and yeah dad was dad honeycutt was uh diagnosed with cancer earlier that summer in august and you know watching watching that season progress and then watching grandpa regress was difficult uh, and just praying that somehow he gets through the season and is able to see Nebraska start to become what they used to be, right? And that was important to me. I know it was important to him. And I remember uh, distinctly every time Nebraska would score in all the years we would watch games, I remember distinctly every time Nebraska would score, he'd always throw that right fist in the air and he'd go, hey, you know, that's that was yeah. that was his, he wouldn't get 
fired up or crazy, he'd just throw that fist in the air and he'd hey. go, hey, yes, you know. And uh, that oh, game, he did the same, but it wasn't the same. He didn't have the energy. Oh. He didn't have the life in it. it you, knew, you knew it wasn't long. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that made that game memorable because... You know, you and I shared that together, watching that game, being excited about that game, seeing how it ended, and not knowing at the time that that was the last time we'd get to see the game, see a game with Grandpa. Um, and quite frankly, that was also the last time that Bo Pelini's dad was alive to see a Husker game as well and watch his son coach. So um, his dad passed away not long after that as well, and. Uh, before the bowl game, and I remember all the players had the AP for Anthony Pelini on their helmets. And watching that game, I was sick. I couldn't go over to to uh, watch it with you guys and with Grandma. I was sick with some kind of fever of some sort. And uh, just watching it and seeing the AP on the helmets and watching the team come back and win that game and just crying, just saying, thank you, God, for, you know, <laughs> allowing, you know, Pelini's dad and my dad-in-law to sit together and watch another Husker game up there. That was pretty cool. And it just was, you know, the game itself was, you remembered a lot of the same things I did. Uh, it just seems like we shot ourselves in the foot a lot, which seemed to be a trait that would plague Nebraska for many years since. Um, and I don't know why that is, why from coaching staff to coaching staff, they can't figure out how to get a team to play to where they can't, shoot themselves in the foot when it matters most. But I do remember the fake field goal in the first half at some point where some CU player busted through the line, swatted it away because he figured out what's happening. The other guy picks it up, takes it 70 some yards for a touchdown. And I was like, Oh boy, this is going to be a long day. And sure enough, it was like you said, from that moment on, it was a back and forth game toward the end. We're driving Gans makes a horrible mistake and takes a 15 yard sack. He didn't need to take. And uh, puts us what we thought was out of field goal range. And then that soaking wet, scrawny little dude that might weigh 165 pounds soaking wet hammers a 57-yarder. And I remember sitting there. I don't, know, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember sitting there. Your mom's sitting next to me. And the ball, he played a draw. He was like a golfer. He could play a draw like nobody's business. He could send it out to the right a little bit and just curve it back to the left. And it was a little windy that day. And I think wind might have even been in his face a little bit. And <laughs> I remember it bends out to the right a little bit. And your mom goes, oh, ah, God, he missed it. He no. missed it. And I'm like, no, it's drawing back. It's drawing back. And I could hear Grandpa going, oh. <laughs> you know? oh. And, and it goes through. I mean, it would have been good from 60. And then, you know, Grandpa goes, hey. you know, <laughs> Yeah, with the fist in the air and all that. And then I do remember. When Sue did get that interception, he almost jumped up out of his chair, which would have been a miracle because he didn't have a whole lot of energy at that point. But he just about jumped. I know he jumped to the front of his chair, and he was just kind of at the edge of his chair watching Sue run it in. And uh, the curb stomping on Cody Hawkins was, you know, it was a horrible stiff arm. It was just mean, vicious, and then he damn near stepped on him as he ran past him when he fell down. And then I thought he was going to catch 15 yards for literally spiking the ball into the end wall behind the end zone. I swore they were going to throw 15 yards for excessive celebration. And um, yeah, so those are kind of my memories was 
it's all swirled together with one of the most exciting finishes to any game that we've ever seen, along with the knowledge now that that was the last time we were going to watch a game with your grandpa. And that's difficult. It's still difficult. You know, Father's Day comes and goes, and I truly miss, truly miss him at these times. But hey, I'm so grateful for those times as well. And uh, yeah, this was, that was something else. That game, that game was something else. I'll never forget it, ever forget it. And there's a reason, folks, why those two Colorado highlights are in our, in our, in our opening intro. And it's not just because of how memorable the game is, but how honorable the man is that we honor. Yes. Um, with those highlights. So grandpa, it's in his honor that we play him. We miss you. We miss you, Grandpa, and honestly, part of the reason I think we ever had a spark to do this podcast was because of uh, a legacy that he, yeah. for certain, um, left behind for us. Um, there was just something so uh, remarkable about going over, like you stated. Um, for mm-hmm. me, it was it is such a nostalgic and cherished memory of mine going over to <clears throat> Grandma and Grandpa's for almost any game that we could possibly see uh, mm-hmm. to include uh, Grandma and Grandpa getting pay-per-views. Um, yes, I remember it was, that. Mm-hmm. It, was in, it was incredible. Um, and yeah, Dad and I, the, the reason why we're doing this podcast is because we understand the importance of, of generational uh, fandom. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm sure um, someday down the road... Um, as we continue doing this, there's going to be folks like us who are going to reach out to us and 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 offer similar your, stories, your stories of of loved ones that you got to spend probably your most memorable moments of of your Husker experiences mm-hmm. with. Um, I know for a fact that, man, I mean, you know, like. So, yeah, someday, someday in like 40, 50 years, I'm going to look back at these podcasts. Mm-hmm. And it'll feel, it'll feel real good <laughs> to yeah. know that I got to, I got to do this with my old man. Um, so that's just kind of, that's just kind of my, I, I know I've talked about it before, but I will continue talking about why, why we're doing the podcast and why it's important to us um and yeah so that's kind of it's, it's generational it means something it's it's more than just a game i remember um and i probably should have threw it in my honorable mentions and i know we're going long on this folks but that's okay because this is important stuff um i remember you were with me on the road mm-hmm. when um was it 2013 or 2000 2013. It would have been 2013. After Burkhead had graduated and they did the Jack Hoffman thing in the spring game. And we're listening to it on satellite radio. You remember this? Because we see, I was like, oh, Jack Hoffman's coming out. And you could hear the emotion in Greg Sharp's voice. And he takes off and you're looking out the passenger window. I'm looking out the driver's window because I know both of us are weeping like fools because it was the coolest moment we'd ever heard on the radio, bar none. And I was like, this is what Nebraska football is all about. The winning's great, and there's nothing I want more 
than to see Nebraska get back to what Nebraska used to be. But Nebraska football is more than just winning. And, you know, duh, that's a book title. Tom Osborne wrote it. Um, it's a good book too, by the way, but there's an, there's a, there's an importance in doing things the right way, doing things in a way that's honorable, that means more than just winning. And the winning comes when you do things that way. And sure enough, it did for Osborne. And I think it will soon for us as well. Maybe we don't ever get to national championship level again. But I think we'll get back to, to relevance, and that's what matters to me more than anything, is to get back to relevance, get back to the point where people are afraid, teams are afraid to come into Memorial Stadium. And uh, I think those days are coming. I really do. I think we're getting there. We are certainly getting there. And that's pretty much all we've got for this particular episode. I mean... We kind of talked about some fun facts in, in a previous one. Is there anything you'd like to say real quick, Scott, that maybe folks besides the Miata don't know about you or the puppy that people don't know about you that you'd like them to know? Uh, let's see. Off the top of my head, a fun fact about myself. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say that it's I, I do like drinking tea. Um, it is, uh, it's a pastime of mine. I like hot tea, iced tea, um, to include sweet tea. I especially love mm -hmm. sweet tea. Um, mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the fact that uh, sweet tea, if you buy any of the jugged sweet tea from, from any of your local grocery stores, if you look at the sugar content in it, it's actually more than your average soda. So, right. uh, and yeah, so I kind of have a selfish uh, uh, a desire for sweet tea quite often, um, and then hot teas. I really like this uh, this this tea by Yogi, and it's called Egyptian Licorice Mint. And Ooh, that sounds I, yummy. Oh, I love it. It's got a, it's it's naturally sweetened from the bag, so you don't have to add any sweetener mm. to it, and it just adds like a just a little little kiss of sweetness. Cool. Um, yeah, so I like tea. So you like tea. I like tea. There's actually a tea that sells at Walmart. Mm -hmm. It's called, ooh, I just blanked on it. Ooh, I got it in Louisiana, and then I found out recently that they sell it. They sell it in uh, in Lincoln. What is it called? I only I bought like two jugs when I was on, uh, let's see, let me look this up. Walmart Sweet Tea. I want to advertise for them, so hopefully maybe they uh, they sponsor me, mm -hmm. and then I get free tea all the time. Milo's, it's my <laughs> Milo's sweet tea. It's it's pretty cheap, and you can get it at your local Walmart. It's really good if you like if you like uh, if you like sweet tea that's as thick as syrup and has uh, <laughs> has a yeah. southern quality to it that's unmatched. You that could probably you, throw it on your pancakes if you wanted. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Um, I like Milo's sweet tea. I'm going to have to go to the Yummy. store and get some now. Might have to but... try that and take an insulin shot too when I do. Oh, yes. What about you? Me? I, I had written down initially that 95 Oklahoma game being the very first uh, Husker game I actually got to see in Memorial Stadium. Uh, but no, I'm not going to talk about Husker-related stuff. I'm a, As I mentioned in our second episode, I drive a truck for a living. And I'm gone about 300 days a year. 
So where do I eat? I don't eat at truck stops because I'm not like what most people think when they think of the truck driver. They probably think about the guy with the baseball cap, the cowboy boots, and the belly that sticks out way farther than it should and hangs down way lower than it should. I'm not that guy yet. I'm still fairly svelte at age 53, six foot, 390 pounds. So I don't do a lot of truck stop food. I cook my own right there in the truck. I've got an inverter, got a microwave, got a mini Foreman grill. So I do a lot of grilling. I do a lot of, um, let's see what else I've been. Actually, I've kind of done what Andre, your brother-in-law does these days. I've eaten a lot of fish a lot more often now. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of me. I don't, I cook my own food when I'm on the road and I try my best not to eat truck stop food because it's just nothing but cholesterol and, and crap, quite frankly. So, um, well, there you go. So there you go. That's me. I don't eat truck stop food. Yes. I remember, uh, whenever I'd go out on the road with you, uh, my (laughs) favorite, my favorite food I ever had, which was like in retrospect, so disgusting. I can't stand it anymore. And I see why you were like, you really want to eat this? It's like dog food in a can. <laughs> Denti more beef stew. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible for your blood pressure, but it tastes so good and hurts it's so bad still, at the same time. <laughs> oh, it does. I have I have taken the most miraculous <laughs> of all time after eating a can of that. It yeah. just, it really, it really... Uh, really marinates inside of you. Well, I tell you, you what, can... if you want to take a really good dump after you haven't for a couple of days, all you need is a decent cup of Jamaican me crazy coffee. Cause that's what happened to me. We oh. had some of that this morning in the hotel room. Cause I took my coffee pot from the truck to the hotel room. Cause we all know hotel coffee sucks. So we, and, but of course being the idiot that I am, I forgot to take our coffee creamer and the coffee. I brought the filters, but I forgot the coffee. So we bought some Jamaican Me Crazy, brewed it fairly strong, and that, that worked really well later when we got home today. Well, we got some iced coffee on the way out of town. That's another fun fact. I love my dang coffee. There you go. That's kind of the uh, top fives that we have for most memorable wins. Uh, do you have any final thoughts at all, Scott, about anything we've talked about tonight or about what we would like to do in the next few episodes? Um, yeah, just my general excitement to have some of these in-depth conversational uh, type episodes. I am never, ever going to be a stats or a <laughs> analytics or a predicting guy. I'm going to go off of my gut for most of this, most mm-hmm. of these uh, upcoming episodes. Um, so I'm just really excited to have these uh, robust conversations, especially you know, we're, you know, you're my father, I'm your son. Uh, we're completely, we're on two different, completely, uh, ex- like experiential mm-hmm. planes. And so disagreement is bound to happen through this, but, uh, that's kind of what we're excited about. And, and I think another thing that, that we're, we're looking forward to with doing this podcast is disagreeing in certain aspects mm-hmm. and seeing if we can come to a respectful agreement of, of my uh, kind of ambitious younger generational type opinions and and uh, you know also respecting and my get off my lawn opinions yeah and <laughs> and respecting it and and I'll use a lot of very caricature type language like I'll I think in the previous episode uh, in episode three I I uh, spoke about boomers or uh, I, I use very labeling kind of language. 
Um, and I don't mean all boomers. I don't mean all millennials. I don't mean any of that. I, I'm just it's a more generality. so. Yeah, it's more of like a caricature of of a certain uh, generality, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so if I do say things that that are offensive to uh, an older generation, reach out to me and, and tell me I'm a dumbass. I, I'll appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I'm looking forward to specifically the playoff expansion. I've I've sat here and and, and chewed on the playoff expansion and the twelve team. Specifically, the twelve-team playoff expansion, and I'm from our initial conversation. I've kind of changed some of my aspect, like some of my views on it, and I, I kind of oh, am really? starting. Yes, I'm starting to have some more red flaggy type uh, 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 perspectives on it. So I do look forward to having this conversation with you. Uh, cool, sounds good. Yeah. So, yep, I'm I'm excited for the next one. Sounds good. Well, we will certainly have to. Uh... Well, good Lord, we're almost to two hours now. Folks, we hope you lasted this long for it because I'm not going to split it up. It's going to be what it is, and uh, you're going to hear what you hear. And we are who we are. We're Generation Red, and we're father and a son. And believe it or not, right now it's Sunday on Father's Day. And I can't I can't say how much fun it has been to record a podcast with my oldest son on Father's Day. Just doesn't get any better than that. We hope that all of you at the time that you've heard this had a great Father's Day weekend. And we're really hoping, more than anything, that you enjoy what we do. So, God bless, go Big Red, and we will definitely talk to you next time. Go Big Red. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach us through our Facebook page at facebook.com slash genredpod or by email at genrpodcast at gmail.com. Our YouTube channel is the Generation Red Podcast, and you can download and listen to the audio-only version of our show on all your favorite podcast applications, such as iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and many others. Make sure you search for us, subscribe to the show, and leave us a review. It helps us get noticed. Anyway, we really appreciate you listening to this episode today. And until next time, go Big Red and stay sweet and salty, Husker Nation.